Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangusti, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today, we'll take a look at a major biotech buyout. We'll also look at a colorful e-commerce drama that spotlights the huge power wielded by online influencers on China's internet. We'll start with the biotech buyout, which involves a startup called Graycell Biotech. The company announced that global giant AstraZeneca is offered to buy it in a deal worth up to $1.2 billion. That's not chump change for a company whose most promising product is a cutting-edge cancer treatment, but it's still in the very early stages of development. This particular deal is a bit of a landmark since it's the first major buyout offer coming from a major global drug company for any of the dozens of Chinese biotech startups that have listed over the last four or five years. Nearly all of those are losing big money and are constantly in the market for new cash. So, Renee, do you think this deal might mark the start of a new chapter for Chinese biotechs in terms of attracting big global buyers like AstraZeneca? I don't know. Um, a few things here. First of all, let's just look at, at the kind of like a macro level at the uh, uh, pharmaceutical world uh, industry in general. Um, if you look back a few years ago, there was a, a very strong feeling that the big pharma companies didn't have much to excite investors going forward and that they were all struggling uh, at had very light, um, you know, research portfolios and so on. Right. Um, some of them kind of got redeemed by COVID, uh, Pfizer being an example, uh, Moderna, although it's smaller, uh, being another one. Uh, and, uh, and that lasted, you know, whatever, two years, two and a half years, and then it's kind of game over now. And then the next wave was uh, two companies uh, were positively impacted by weight loss hmm. uh, drugs oh, that right, right. hit the market a few months ago. But if you look at the industry overall, that actually, there hasn't been much going on, which is why... Uh, big pharma companies have taken to acquiring uh, smaller companies and biotech companies in particular. So that's one thing. Hmm. Um, the, the next thing is, um, look, I mean, AstraZeneca is, is, a ver- is a quality company. It's been very well managed uh, all along, as far as I know. So I have to believe that you know, they did their research, their due diligence and so on, and they decided that waging a billion two is, is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, as you uh, highlighted, uh, biotech companies are risky. They're, you know, much more risky than if you buy a co- another pharmaceutical company that has a proven portfolio of drugs. Um, the um, biotech companies come up with an idea, with a concept, they develop it, they think it's going to work, then they have to go through successive tests um, with the regulators in their country first and then subsequently in other countries. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and there's risk all along that at some point in time, as they go through phase one, phase two, phase three, that something will not materialize uh, as they expected, 
uh, or that a drug without showing too many side effects to be acceptable, and therefore regulators will withhold their approval, not approve, and so on. And when that happens, and it has happened uh, in the past, then the stock price crashes, right? <laughs> right. The second, the second aspect of biotech companies is that um, they typically have to go back to market and raise and raise additional capital uh, fairly regularly in order to fund the next stage of research and so on. And, um, and you know, uh, markets sometimes are very responsive and they'll throw money at the biotech sector. And sometimes the markets are not responsive at all and it becomes very difficult to raise capital or very expensive to raise capital. Mm-hmm. So being acquired at some point in time, being acquired by a much bigger company that has been around for a long time, very well capitalized and so on, obviously offers definite advantages to the biotech uh, company, right? You become part of a bigger uh, institution. You get uh, a lot more support, including in research, uh, later on in terms of marketing drugs and so on. And you get access to, you know, capital relatively cheaply and certainly. So you you have a much less volatile uh, business um, profile. Now, AstraZeneca is a foreign company, and they're basically a British company. The biotech uh, Graycell is a Chinese company. Will the Chinese government approve the acquisition? And even if they approve this one, are they going to concern? Are they going to become concerned later on if we see more and more foreign companies trying to acquire Chinese biotech companies? Will they look at that, uh, you know, with a pretty benign uh, view, or will they, at some point in time, feel that uh, this is not good for national security in terms of, uh, you know, coming up with new drugs? Uh, curing um, illnesses that historically have not been uh, curable, um, then you start going into the political aspect of life and so on, and all bets are off. Mm. All right. Well, uh, I didn't even thought of the uh, political element because these companies are all quite small, at least in terms of uh, anti-competitive considerations. But I guess, I guess you're saying there could be other considerations beyond that. Um, I, I. I Wanted to ask too. I, I mean, from what I understand, this kind of M and A for drug startups. A lot of people start up drug companies specifically looking to get acquired. Mm. You know, uh, and that you know, because you know, they can earn big, big profits, uh, and it's right. quite common in the West. Um, but for some reason, that hasn't really happened in in China just yet. And I'm I'm curious. I mean, this. This is, like I say, this is the first big deal we've seen. Um, why is it that, that we haven't seen this kind of M&A or it's taken this long to see this kind of M&A in, in China? You know, it could be by a domestic company as well, but we just haven't seen it. And uh, do you think this Graystell deal is, is maybe signaling that, you know, something's matured or something's changed or, um, or the market's just no longer willing to keep? funding these guys or is you know has something changed and are we going to see more of this 
Well, you know, first of all, I think that the biotech sector in China in general is still fairly new, fairly young, uh, at least if you compare it with the biotech sector in the West. Uh, there were biotech companies in the U.S., you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Hmm. Uh, it seems to me that it's still a fairly recent um, industry, if I can call it that way, uh, hmm. in China. And yes, there have been uh, a number of IPOs uh, actually in Hong Kong and also in the U.S. Uh, by Chinese biotech companies over the last two or three years. But it's still relatively new. Right. The other thing is that you know, let's just remember that for you know most of the past three years, four years actually, uh, you know it was extremely difficult for any foreign company to come and do business in China, let alone you know trying to do research and do diligence on on a relatively small biotech company in China uh, because of the COVID restrictions, and pretty mm. much nobody was coming in until sometime last year. So from a timing standpoint, this could explain why this is happening now. I don't think it could have happened in 2019. I think it was way too early right. uh, for the biotech sector in China. So, you know, you're seeing one now. Um, yeah, I think you could, you could see uh, more uh, in the future. And then, then you're going to start thinking about political considerations and so on and we will all see what uh, what happens what happened. right okay i guess yeah we're really i guess probably the drug companies will i'll be watching this deal closely to see uh sure. you know if it runs into any regulatory hurdles or anything like that right but, and there's still you know i mean there's still a fair amount of time to go in terms of all the trials that this drug in particular is gonna have to go through it seems to me that it's still actually at, you know so yeah, it's early quite early. That, uh, right. Right. So, yeah. It's got lots of lots of time to uh, fail still. Or, or succeed. All right. Uh, next, let's, let's move on to uh, our second story, which is this colorful story of a popular internet hosted e-commerce site, East Buy. Uh, and this guy succeeded in getting the company's longtime CEO's fact. It's quite a long story, and I'd encourage anyone looking for all the details to read our story on thebambooworks.com. But the bottom line was that this hugely popular live streaming host felt he wasn't being given due respect and said so very publicly. Uh, when the CEO wasn't contrite enough, the host complained to East Spice chairman and founder, who quickly sided with the host. Uh, and by the way, this Host had a personal fan base that uh, numbered about 20 million people. So maybe we can understand why the CEO, or sorry, why the chairman sided with him. So we hear lots about similar influencers in the West, particularly on video platforms like TikTok. But this seems to be quite the China specific case due to the huge impact this host had on a single company. East Buy's stock went on a roller coaster ride during the whole affair in December falling more than 20% at one point after the brouhaha began. So, uh, Renee, how, how big a risk is this in Chinese internet companies? And, you know, is there any way investors can sort of protect themselves from something like this? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> um, the, uh, I, well, I think that the way you protect yourself you against something like this is by not investing <laughs> 
in any company that is careless enough to have the vast majority of its revenues uh, generated by one customer or one uh, Influencer, yeah. supplier or one whatever you want to call these people. Mm. Uh, this just makes no sense at all. Now, you know, I can see how it happened, how he quickly rose to that level in terms of scale and therefore importance to the company. But uh, let me take you back a little bit uh, in time, not not so much long time ago. Uh, in 2019, a company called Rune, oh. R-U-H-N-N Holdings, right. which was pretty much in the business of social e-commerce uh, by way of using KOLs and so on and streaming uh, the sales pitch of, of KOLs, uh, went public in the U.S. on NASDAQ. And, um, and at the time, uh, the comp- more than a little over 50% of the revenues generated by the company were generated by one KOL hmm. by the name of Big Eve Jang. <laughs> who um, and and you know this this has some similarity to this thing, uh, not a hundred percent, but so this lady ended up putting pressure before the IPO on the founders of the company and managed to wrestle um, a um, ownership of I think about thirty percent in the company pre-IPO, mm-hmm. you know, because she was so important. To the business, she was so important to the IPO. So she basically had, you know, the co-founders. I think there were two of them, but whatever, um, you know, with a gun to their head. Uh, And she ended up getting, I believe it was 30% for free. Mm -hmm. Um, That company has since disappeared. They ended up going private, I think, about two years ago or something like that. They never did really really well but uh, that's you know that's um, uh, that's um, a bit of a cautionary tale now the other one that is more recent is called uh, China's lipstick king oh, who right. um, also right who also you know became uh, like a super KOL and so on and uh, and kind of lost control a little bit of his relative importance in the grand scheme of things and, and what he could say and what he should not say and so on and, and ran into trouble. So this will, you know, this will always happen. In this particular case here, my understanding is that uh, East Buy is actually a subsidiary of a company called New Oriental. Right. Um, New Oriental was a, uh, the first after-school education company that went public uh, in the U.S. from China uh, and became very successful, both in terms of financial performance, in terms of the performance of the stock price and so on, and inevitably, as always in China, then was imitated by you know dozens of other companies who also went to market. Everything was terrific until the Chinese government decided that all these companies could continue to do business, but they couldn't make profits. So uh, that basically killed the industry. Uh, New Oriental tried to, you know, work to reposition itself 
And this is one of the diversification or repositioning businesses. They may have had more than this. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it from that standpoint, um, you know, you have this influencer who uh, obviously believes that he's, you know, the second coming of, of uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, a um, bit tough in China, but whatever, uh, and, uh, and doesn't like the fact that uh, his CEO uh, basically goes out and says, look, yeah, he's important, but, you know, here we're a team and we play like a team and everybody on the team is important. Some may be more important, but everybody on the team is important. He didn't like that. Right. That's basically my understanding of what happened. So then you go to the big CEO and the big CEO has been in the process of repositioning this business. It's starting to look pretty good. He's looking at this and kind of saying, oh, my God, if this guy decides to leave, I don't have a business anymore or not much of a business anymore. So then guess what? That's what happened. In my view, that's where we are. Uh, and it's, um, you know, um, that's, uh, that's uh, a bit of a tough story as far as I'm concerned for a few reasons. Number one, usually, unless there is a professional, um, you know, problem, real professional problem based on conduct in particular and so on, uh, as a CEO, you typically support your manager. Unless they did something awful, they cheated, um, they harassed people, customers, employees, or whatever, uh, and so on and so on. And he, uh, very quickly, seemingly, the big CEO decided to fire the little CEO um, with probably not a lot of other considerations than financial revenues, profits. Um, the other uh, aspect of this is that Especially these days, you know, go back to what happened to Jack Ma and some other high-profile individuals in China uh, on the private business side. You would expect that there would definitely be more focus on team play as opposed to just one individual. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I find that, uh, frankly speaking, a bit surprising given what we have seen uh, over the past, uh, you know, two years, basically, in terms of how the government, the Communist Party, looks at the people who, generally speaking, believe that they're bigger than, <laughs> than everything the Communist else. Party. Ah. Well, then the Communist Party or then, you know, the, um, the other Chinese people in general. Mm. I mean, common prosperity Aside from looking at Jack Ma, who obviously was much more important, much more visible and so on, common prosperity is, you know, playing on the team that pretty much everybody is equal. Everybody deserves to be, uh, you know, at least economically speaking, you know, doing okay, at least. And that anybody who uh, is doing way, way uh, much, much better than the average is actually not to be encouraged. Right. People like these guys, like Lee Judge yeah. and uh, this guy. Okay. So actually, I, f I find this whole thing pretty fascinating. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm really curious as to, you know, what's, what's going to happen over the coming months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll have to sort of stay tuned and see what happens to this guy. Maybe 
maybe he'll be replaced by a uh, a virtual host. But uh, well, yeah, and and uh, and that's especially now with AI and so on. Uh, that is the way to go, very clearly, because you can control then, uh, you know, how it is done, what is said, what is not said, and so on, because everything needs to be scripted in advance, and you can have teams of people looking at uh, at, at it and and making sure that. Whatever is going to be presented to the world is going to be okay, not going to offend anybody, and it's pretty much going to be very neutral, but safe. Right, and also, most importantly, the, these virtual hosts don't have egos, so they won't get all right. bent out of shape and <laughs> start making right. unreasonable demands and high salaries and wanting 50% of the company and all this stuff. They're right. very, very easy to keep happy. Okay, well, let's let's uh, wrap things up from there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening this week. Uh, if you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us again next week for another edition of China Inc., when we'll look once more at the latest trending China business topics. Hope to see you all then. Goodbye for now. All right. Thank you all. Goodbye. <laughs>